When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bill Mackey. When will I know I'm a man? Your mom and I will tell you. Judd Zolgad. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. All right, Dave's got some questions for us here. Luis Suarez being interviewed after the one nothing win by Uruguay over nobody. Saudi Arabia. Didn't bite one opponent. No, that's what he did four years ago. And it uh, looks like he wanted to bite some guy at the end there, but good restraint shown by Luis Suarez. Dave's got some questions for us. Is he Let's man do of some. the match? Do we name a man of the match? I mean, he for scored the World only Cup goal, games? so I would think so. I think he has to be, unless you make the you know, Uruguayan goalkeeper or something like that, pitching the shutout. That's pretty good against the Saudis. Yeah, real hard to pitch a shutout in soccer. Yeah. Such a rare feat. I think the Saudis are now over two as far as scoring goals, even in games, so. Go get them. Nice job. Yep. Um, Earlier today, you boys were discussing hockey. Possible changes that could come to the wild. Maybe a little trade. Um, And then Phil got into the the theory. I guess not even the theory. Just the idea that hockey players in their career peak at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. Typically in the early, maybe mid-20s. Whereas other sports, you're looking at your peak prime mid to late 20s, 26, 27, 28 in basketball, football, baseball especially. Might even be closer to 30. Why? Why do you peak so early in hockey versus other sports? I think it's multiple things. I think it's it's wear and tear on your body. You don't get that in football. I think it's well, but football by by position is very different. Don't forget that. Don't try and press my buttons here. Football is different when it comes <laughs> I just to tried you, with the question. You're trying to press my buttons and if you look at running backs, they have a very short shelf life at which they are successful early and then begin to tail off. Now quarterbacks can play for a long time. And there's something to be said about the quarterback position because you become smarter about the job and that pays off as well. Hockey, I think it's wear and tear. I think it's a, a it you know you've been playing for these kids start playing when if you play like Parisi your body's worn down and and it's reflexes it's every there's so many things about hockey that make you successful at a young age and when you start to get to near 30 those things can start to fall off I think in other sports there's probably something to be said for, for the fact that you become smarter by the time you get that in hockey it's so fast now. That's the thing. 
if you watch, I would say that there, there was probably a chance in hockey in the 80s into the early 90s where you got to be 30. And the game, it's not that it was slow, but it was much slower. And so so you, you had time probably on the ice to, to adjust to things. Now it's such a fast game that I think it really features kids probably between the ages of, let's say, 19, as we talked about, 27 or so. Yeah, just for some proof here before I give but you... But I think a, you're right. It's not it's, it's not a theory. Oh no, it's, I think it's absolutely correct. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. I mean, it's. It, I just picked out two players. One, uh, Zach Parisi, Alex Ovechkin, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, just to go back generations here. And uh, whether it's total points or goal scoring, and Alex Ovechkin has still lit the lamp 50 50 times or more, three times in the last five years. And but he's the exception, right? But he's not an exception. His two best goal-scoring seasons, 65 and 56, and point totals over 100 all came between the ages of 20 and 24. Mm-hmm. And he's still amazing, but he was putting up, he was generating more assists. He was generating more goals. Um, Zach Parisi, his top point-scoring season was when he was 24 years old. He was regularly over 30 goals up until the age of... He had he had one 30-goal season with the Wild, but up until the age of 27. Wayne Gretzky, um, his biggest goal-scoring seasons all came by the age of 26. Mario Lemire. Uh, Lemire. Mario Lemieux, Lemieux, easy for me to say. Um, his biggest goal-scoring seasons were age 22 and 23. And that goes way back then. Okay. Yep. So anyways, so it's definitely a thing. And I would say my amateur thought on it, Speed and activity are very important. You want you want to be an active player in hockey because you're just looking to generate chances and you're looking to generate possessions and activity. And so, your and Jeb brings up coordination. I think some of that probably does stay with you, but your speed deteriorates your as reflexes, you go along. Yeah, and I don't know, like reflexes. I don't know how much. Maybe they do fade out when you're 30 years old, but I know that speed does. And so, if you're no longer the fastest, most agile player on the ice, your activity will go down, your possession might go down, and therefore your productivity goes down. But it's a, it's an interesting... I'm sure there's been studies on this, and Matthew Collar has probably stumbled upon some, but it's, it's a fun discussion. Mm-hmm. We are your home for Gurney Watch 2018 at your World Cup taking place in Russia. A lot of diving going on, as in every match. I don't know if you guys have seen this gif. Uh, this is from earlier today, Portugal and Morocco. This fell on the Portuguese team, getting patted on the back by a Moroccan player and falling down as if he's been shot, looking back and screaming at the opponent. A forceful pat on the shoulder. It's like, like a, hey, good job, buddy. Ow! <laughs> he hits the deck. Oh! <laughs> All right. Fix soccer. I know you guys tried this a few weeks ago with the uh, the crafty rogues in the house, and they laughed you out of the door and said, this, tea, this game doesn't need fixing. It's the world's most popular game. It's been so for decades upon decades. Well, we've seen what flopping goes on, and there's perhaps other fixes you could make to the beautiful game. Pick the most important fix and do it. All right. It's very easy, and this is very self-serving because... We're sitting here as American sports fans telling the most popular sport in the world how it can fix itself. It's like, okay, that's great. That's like someone in Uruguay saying, here's how you can fix American football to make it more popular. It's like, it's already the most popular sport in this country. I would say, I think if you went from 11 on 11 to 9 on 9 and allowed more substitutions so that guys wouldn't get dog tired playing a a more shorthanded game, you'd create more space, even though there's already a lot of space, but you'd create even more space and thus more goal-scoring opportunities than uh, than currently, especially in the would you call it the half field? Like when you're when you're when you're down and you're crunched around and you're and there's it's literally like 
You know, it's it's in the, like, the penalty box. You sure, mean? The it big can box. it can get herd ballish even in the World Cup sometimes. And so I would say if you took two players off the field from each team, but then allowed for some more substitutions to keep guys fresh, there'd be more goal scoring and American fans would be more interested. I don't know how you stop flopping because I told guys you are, guys are going to fix that. All I'll right, fix go ahead. that. If you if you go down and you writhe around and and hold your leg and then glance at the official and pop up and start to run and complain, it's an automatic yellow card. It's an unsportsmanlike conduct. Flopping is it, drag unless, your leg around unless you unless you require medical attention. Get up. You fall down, get up, just like every other single sport. Unless you are, unless you are truly injured. So I, you know, this this I find to be amusing now. But I'm telling you, if I watch soccer consistently, it would drive me absolutely crazy. So let's make it unsportsmanlike conduct. If you're going to go down to the ground, writhe in pain like you just got shot, look at the official, realize there's not a yellow card against your opponent, and start yelling, and then you pop back up and run, you get a yellow now, card yourself. They will call diving, though. You can get called for diving, for sure. That's a thing. And they call that in the NHL, too. Although I find it funny that in like in hockey, man, maybe it's the same way in soccer, where They'll call a penalty on someone, and they'll call diving. But it has to be one or the other, right? Can't, how can it be in a penalty? Hockey? Oh, yeah. I know. It drives me nuts. Yeah, because so they're offsetting oh, in hockey. Yeah. It's hooking, yeah. but it's all it's tripping, but it's diving. But what? No, it's one I'm or the other. I'm just so tired of these guys flopping around like you think, oh, my God, this guy's really hurt, and then they get up, and they're fine. That's and a yellow card. And you know what? Done. If I'm the guy See, in charge yeah. of the gurney, it's boy who cried wolf. I'm going to wait an extra 30 to 60 seconds. You might have a bone sticking through your leg this time, <laughs> yeah. but because all these other guys have been flopping the whole tournament, if I'm now you bleed out. Too, and it's, if I'm Gurney Boy, I drop every player off of it. I pick <laughs> them up and then just drop them off. It's got to be tough being the Gurney guy, though. I mean, how many times do you think, I finally get to go on the... Oh, he's up already. Oh, this oh, is yeah. my oh, oh, he's no. Yeah, you're right. That's great. Oh, great. Yeah. No. Sorry. He's just running back and forth from the sideline to the gurney. Sideline. Oh. oh. Put it back down. Ah. <laughs> Suarez. Ah. It's time for America's favorite game show, which we haven't done in quite a few months. It is Date. Mary DFA. I have three oh, okay. names of twins for you here, gentlemen. What does DFA stand for in this game? Is it just designate for assignment? That's I right. just want to clarify. Yes, okay. yes, because it's baseball theme. That's where we go. Okay. Date Mary DFA. For the purposes of this, of this exercise, let's say all three of these players have contracts that expire in one year. All right. So okay. contract, not an issue. I give you three names. One, you get to marry, get that long-term deal. One, you date, just, uh, you know, we'll just stick to the current deal. And one, you've got to get rid of immediately if you are the Minnesota Twins. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Your names are the three that we already threw out there for all-star contention this year. Rosario, Escobar, and Berrios. This is very, very simple. For me, at least, and it's going to surprise you guys, I think, but I marry Jose Berrios. I think this guy, he, he's he got great stuff, but more importantly, as Dan Hayes talked about, he's becoming a pitcher as well. This is the type of guy, I think he's a staff ace. I marry him. I continue to date Eddie Rosario, who the pitch selection's not great, but the hands, the bat speed is, is great. I think he's going to be good for a long time. And given those three guys, I DFA Escobar because as much as I like him and as great as he's been at times this year, 
if I have to make the decision on those three, I am definitely sticking with Barrios and Rosario. Ditto. As hard as it is to say, because the best uh, the best of these three right now might be Eduardo Escobar, just based on the fact that he can play all these positions. But he's the oldest, and in this scenario, they all have one year contracts, so he's the oldest. And I think Barrios is the most valuable just because of his his potential ace caliber pitching standing. So I would marry Barrios, I would date Rosario, and I would DFA. That would be designate for assignment. Glad you made that clear. Eduardo Escobar. And pretty soon your significant other comes up with a bad elbow, needs Tommy John. I'm sticking with her still. Wow. Oh, You're a good I'm guy. Loyal. Plus, wow. that surgery's no big I deal I figured now. you'd have wandering eyes in a hurry. God, you're so mean to me sometimes. <laughs> the Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Happy? Yeah, happy. On 1500 ESPN. Hey, E-R. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Are we ready? Let's get it on. On 1500 ESPN. Panarin's got it for the Blue Jackets. Down the left wing and across the line. Panarin trying to cut in. Scores! Game winner in overtime. What a goal by Panarin. Uh, you threw it out earlier. We, we did this for two or three segments in the 9 o'clock hour. This news that came out yesterday. The Columbus Blue Jackets would love for Artemi Panarin, their best player, to sign a long-term contract extension. He's 26 years old. He's become one of the more productive players in the league. He makes $6 million last year of his contract coming up. And he has said, according to multiple reports, eh, uh, Columbus, kind of a meh franchise, and I was in Chicago a couple years ago, and I'm just going to be okay on that. I, I don't need to sign a contract extension. And he extension. might just, just wait him. I mean, he, he might get traded and wait. Yeah. But the point is, he doesn't want to sign an extension, so Columbus is exploring trade possibilities. Yes, and you and I both agree. The Wild, you got to make a phone call for sure. If you're if you're Fenton, get on the phone. Um, I don't know if it has to be like a Grandland for Panarin swap, where because Grandland's under contract for a few years, right? Yes, and so you'd be giving them multiple years of a lesser player with some upside who's the same age. And so they'd be salvaging something, or if you could do it for draft picks. But I, I'm in on that conversation. You threw it out on Twitter earlier. Yeah, and I, I told you my my phone call would involve saying, okay, Granlin and what what else? Because I don't think it's not a I don't think it's a straight up Granlin for a Panarin trade. So I think what you do if you're Paul Fenton is call, and I would start with Granlin because I'm pretty convinced that as good as he can be at times, he, he's not really a playoff player. And he, he's not consistent enough. And he's at an age now where I don't think it's going to change. Like, I don't think the Granlin in the next couple of years is going to turn a corner and you're going to say, oh, my God, here it is. We have seen it before, but to our discussion about when guys start to age in hockey and decline, Granlin's had his best years, his chance, and he's a good player. But he's not a great one. So I would go... His best attribute, obviously, speed. Yes. If he's not already a natural goal scorer, it's not like... He's not going to be able to ride the speed he's quickness got, wave forever. He's got speed and can make plays, but the problem is it's not there consistently. And it certainly doesn't seem to uh, be there often enough come springtime now. So I would go to Columbus and say, I will start you off with Granlund and what else? The other name that I brought up, if they don't want Granlund or don't like him that much, is Brodeen. Uh, but this is... Now, now the question also is, 
when you call Panarin's people, do they say, oh, yeah, wild, that'd be fantastic. We would sign a long-term contract there. Or do they say simply our client wants to wait and see? And then if you're Fenton, do you consider making a hired gun trade for a year? Now, the issue is supposedly the report is that Columbus was prepared to uh, talk about a contract for uh, Panarin that would be eight years, around $9 million per. The term on that, given his age, is a little bit too much for me. But these are these are the type of trades that if you're Paul Fenton, I think you are under an obligation to explore now. It's also the type of trade that you would expect the Wild to pull off, right? For sure in the Chuck Fletcher era, where you'd look and say, oh, you know what? They're totally going to be in. You know, there's players that pop up in the major leagues and you say, oh, yeah, the Twins, even with a new regime, yeah, probably not going to be in on that guy. Oh, LeBron James is going to be hunting for new teams. Probably not going to be coming to the Timberwolves. Reckless speculation when you talk about Not that Panarin is on the same level as LeBron uh, James. Although Jimmy Butler became available and they pulled the trigger on that. So I guess, sure. I guess, uh, checkmate there. But this is the type of thing where, oh, this really good player becomes available and Minnesota would be, from a hockey perspective, a really good logical destination. And previously with Chuck Fletcher, he has had the stones and the grapefruits to pull the trigger on trades, even if those trades were short sighted and maybe cost the wild down the road. My other question to you would be as they're looking to build this thing out and, and tweak and upgrade, whatever it may be, how many players right now who are in that next wave, the Erickson Eck wave, and then on down, Yep. how many of those guys, and even maybe there's guys we haven't seen yet. Isn't there a Russian kid that we haven't seen yet? Fantastic. Who's still there for two more years. Who could come in and this season, Jump up and be a top six forward and be someone who, like, is Erickson Eck Erickson at some Eck point going to score Eric- twenty five goals in the season? I think so. And Erickson Eck, the thing, the thing with him is playing uh, third line center for most of last year. Erickson Eck didn't score a lot, but he did a lot of things really well. I th- yeah, I could see. Like, what about Cunning? I like him a lot. I am not absolutely positive what his impact is going to be in two thousand eighteen nineteen. Uh, Koivu's impact and where he plays has to go down. I think he is a third-line center right now at this point in his career. And as Louie talked to us about about a month ago on this show, he's a guy I'd be very tempted to say, you know, Miko, we're we're a decent team. We're good. But you're at at an age now where we could trade you to a team where you're going to play on its third line and, and, and win possibly. Uh, if you could unload that contract and that player, the problem there and and one of the primary things that I think cost a Fletcher his job is the fact that they gave Koivu before last year a two-year extension that's going to kick in this year with a no-move, which mm-hmm. is absolutely crazy. So to Louie's point, could you go to Miko and say, in retrospect, this wasn't a great move by us. We would like to send you to a team where you're going to contribute and have a real opportunity to win a cup. If you could do that and get a prospect or two prospects, but get something that that would be fantastic. Um, from the farm system, but the problem is this though: the Wilds farm system has a couple guys, and that's it. Fletcher had nothing down there, but by the end, the Iowa team was basically. And I think what, one reason why they like Fenton is if you look at what Nashville had in their American League club, it's pretty good. And Nashville also had a habit of sending players through their minor league team before they went to Nashville. The Wild would rush guys at times. So 
I don't think you're looking at a I don't think you're you're looking at a bunch of players that are going to come in in 1819 now and flourish and be great. I think you're probably l- looking at a couple contributors, but this goes back to why why you have to examine what Fletcher left you with your big league club and say, "All right, I'm not married to these players whatsoever. Mm-hmm. What can I possibly now turn around and trade for upgrades of some sort?" Uh, six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Would you would you attempt to trade for Panarin now that he's reportedly available and doesn't want to sign a contract extension with Columbus? One year left in his deal. Who says no? If because you've thrown around Granlund and well, obviously, like if you could trade a Charlie Coyle in something, well, yeah. you would do it. But like they're going to want. No, there's going to be teams interested here. Who says no? Erickson Eck. Who's a, who was the 20th overall pick a few years ago? He's a very we're not, nice we're talking about a prospect. Yep. Um, Erickson Eck and let's say like a third round pick or something for Panarin. Who says no? Can I sign Panarin to a multi year contract or is this a one year hired gun situation? It would have to be an eight year contract. Taking him until he's because that's because that that's what the market would bear. It was, so it would, it would have to be an eight year. I think Columbus says no. I think Columbus wants more. Uh, I don't know that Fenton is going to be on board though with trying to get a guy who he's confident is only going to stay here a year. So from both sides, I think there's trepidation, Phil. Uh, but if you're Columbus and you t- and you end up trading Panarin and there's and if you perceive that there's a very good chance that he's going to get to a new team and sign a multi year contract. I think Columbus. I don't think Columbus says no because they don't like Erickson Eck. I think they say. I think they say no. What else are you going to give me? Okay. And I think it has to be more than draft picks would or you, a draft pick. Would you be willing to trade Erickson Eck for one year of Panarin, and then we'll and then we'll see about a contract extension? I wouldn't offer him no. No, I wouldn't. No, because there's guys mm-hmm. I can put together a package that's going to be much more attractive. With guys in their mid twenties, yeah, who are going, who are not bad players. That that's the thing. Like about, I'd rather trade Brodeen than right. Eriksson because and, of their ages. And we're not talking about busts here. We are talking about a group of players that didn't necessarily mature into the group that we thought they they were going to. But they're not bad players. So if you get Brodeen, he's a very solid player. But he's a one way player, though. I mean, yeah. He's but a as you player. but as you reconstruct this roster, I'm basically going to take. The group of players that that we were all excited about after they beat the Abs in the first round a few years back, and those were largely Chuck's guys. Chuck loved those guys, and Chuck didn't want to part with those guys. And those are the first group of people that I'm trying to move. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to move the Erickson X. I would much prefer to take these decent young players who have who I wouldn't say that that they have huge upside, but they're but they're productive players, Mm -hmm. and package something together. The one thing is, everyone, uh, to your point before, everyone goes back to Coyle. Now, we'll just trade Coyle. Charlie <laughs> yeah, Coyle's I mean, value right now is off the charts low. That's like saying, just trade Sano. Like, right. Uh, and you're okay. going to get what for him? Right. The only guy I would make off limits, I think, I'm with you. I would hesitate to trade a 21-year-old first-round pick who's just emerging into into his basically second full season in the NHL, Eric Sinek. I would. I think I think you'd be selling low on a guy that he's got he's, – he's, he's, He's got all the qualities that you would think in two or three years, okay, this is going to be a top six forward. Mm-hmm. So I would hate to sell low on him. The only other guy that I would make off limits is Matthew Dumba. I would not trade Matthew oh, Dumba I agree for Panarin. And, and people will say you're crazy. And I would and hesitate. I agree with you completely. I would hesitate on Zucker 
you and I differ a little bit. I think I don't think you can write off his postseason yet, but I'm really intrigued by the fact that that dude just scored 33 goals and appears to be emerging into something here. But here's the but Dumba's the only one that I would say. You know what? We're not going to have a conversation. Anyone else? Let's have a conversation. I would gamble on trading Jason based on, on the fact that with the amount of goals he's scored, that I, I don't know how many times he's going to repeat that. And, and he he's the anti coil with coil. Everyone says, well, just trade him now. Well, teams are going to say, I'll give you a draft pick. Zucker's value right now is pretty high, and I'd be tempted to, to at least shop him. Dumba is the player, and the, it's a positional thing too, but Dumba is the guy, and this, this happens in all of sports, who he does something that is a very unique skill set, mm-hmm. and those guys are hard to find. And I will, every time that somebody says, well, just trade Dumba, he makes some stupid plays, I will refer you to Brett Burns. Brent Burns. Brent Burns is the perfect example of, okay, that's fine. You can trade him now, but in five years, and, and he's still going to make irresponsible defensive plays at times, but in five years when he's getting a ton of shots on goal and scoring goals and you say, oh, my God, he's good, I'm going to say, yeah, that's why you don't trade yeah. that, that guy. His skill set is unique enough that I don't want to unload it. Uh, Joe tweets into the show here that Russ Cohen on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio just said he believes... Barry Trotz will meet with the Wild. Will they meet? Okay. So they, they're going to meet with him while Bruce Boudreaux is still on our contract. Has anybody read my column over there? <laughs> Has anybody? They tried. They couldn't get past the grammar. Speculate. Oh, <laughs> you knew that was coming. Oh. I said, Jeff, for that. They You're couldn't welcome. get past the run-on sentence You're in the welcome. first paragraph. No, not, no, no, no. It was a comma problem. You can't meet with him while Bruce Boudreaux is still under contract. Paul Fenton called me. He said your commas are really comma use is bad. Uh no, this is major, major speculation. And it's not even like, to it's, to I don't even know of. if it's a report. This is literally us reading from Joe, who follows us on Twitter. And Russ. Who's, this is like third or fourth. <laughs> and Russ Cohen. Reckless speculation. Yeah, but you're, <laughs> but you're right. You can't just go meet with him. Or, like, hey, hey or what's going can on? can you? What's going on, Barry? Hey, hey. I mean, yeah, we got a coach. I really like Bruce. It's just coffee. It's just coffee with an X. Just coffee with an X. That's all it is. Wow. Uh, interesting. i got to find out more about this right now. Uh, Lindsey Whalen, when we come back, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. We'll be back in the game before you know it. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Involved risk. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You know, it's, it's just like his own reality show. Mackie and Judd. I love it. On 1500 ESPN. Uh, quick plug, 1500ESPN.com. Matthew Collar has a new episode of the Purple Podcast up. Everything they learned from minicamp. So you can find that. Subscribe. It's the most popular Vikings podcast in the Twin Cities. So you can find it anywhere you would download podcasts. But 1500ESPN.com is always a good place to find it. Uh, earlier in the show, if you missed it, Lindsey Whalen joins us every week. And uh, the Lynx were in the middle of a bad losing stretch there. But they've won a couple games in a row. So we talked about the Lynx getting back on track and uh, a bunch of other stuff, technical fouls and stories and different things. So Lindsey Whalen will start with a discussion about Lynx winning last night, getting back on track. Just defensively, I thought we had some really good practices where we just really uh, honed in on what, you know, kind of reminding ourselves of what got us to that point, you know, and got us to, um, you know, where we need to be as a team. And so, um, you know, all these years of all these wins, it hasn't been, you know, it's been a lot of hard work, you know, it's been a lot of defense, a lot of rebounding, and I thought we focused on that last week, and then 
Um, it showed up in the game, and obviously, um, you know, Seal had a big couple big nights. Uh, Mai isn't playing well, so um, those two. I mean, Chechi uh, Sandalazzini from Italy has come in and given us a big spark off the bench. So, um, you know, total team effort, but it's been a couple people have really stepped up and played well. Back to basics is is cliched, but what did, did that mean to have that uh, that break between the loss to Connecticut then, and I don't think that you played until the next week- weekend after that, to have a couple days off, but probably more importantly have about three intense, what, what I believe Cheryl referred to as training camp type practices. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just um, a lot of where just guarding one on one, so our practice guys are really quick and fast, and just. If you can guard, if you can guard them, you know, give yourself a better chance of just being able to guard people in the one-on-one situations on the court. So, uh, you know, just doing that and and just getting back to moving the ball, um, you know, finishing plays with the rebounds, all those things that, like you say, it's very cliche. But if you don't do those things, you're not going to win. And so, um, yeah, it was kind of a back to the basics, a lot of training camp drills and and just breaking things down um, within the offense and defense because really in the season when you don't have it's kind of we had a bye week more or less and so right during the season so now we practice and leave tomorrow play phoenix go to las vegas play them come home play seattle so we have three games in six days so there's not really be many time to get down and play one-on-one defense during that time on our off days that's when you're recovering and getting back for the next day um so coach did a good job in putting us into those situations on those practice days and it really showed up uh, with the team on the court. So ordinarily, if the Wolves or Wild or Twins uh, go into a skid, we all say, eh, we're not shocked by that. What's it like for your for your team, though? Because I think if, if you guys don't get, get off to a good start now, the, the expectation is such where p- people are actually surprised. Uh, uh-huh. what, what's that they like? Yeah, but... What's that like, too, just to have that expectation continually when, when you win championships, that if you guys drop three consecutive games, people are surprised by it? Yeah, I mean, it's what's, what it means to be part of a dynasty. You know, you you carry that. And we've, we've done that. We've built it. I mean, we were, before this season, we had lost in May since 2010. And so we're, it's in 2018 now. So we were 23-0 and in May. And so when we lost three games in May, it should surprise people because it hasn't been done in seven years. And so, um, you know, we understand what we've done and what we've built. And, um, you know, I think for us, it's just, you know, you kind of get in your, you kind of get in your little bubble and you just focus on what you can do as a teammate, what you can do in practice, what you can do at shoot around, what you can do for the team and whatever capacity that is and do it to the best of your ability and, and kind of try to block out, you know, different things because yeah, I mean, we, well, we lose, we lost four games in a row. I mean, we haven't had, I don't know if we've had any of those since I've even been here. I think we had a, we had a couple three game skids, um, but it's part of it's part of what it is. It's part of when you win four championships in seven years and you've been to six finals in seven years. It's just it comes with the territory. And so, hey, if you want to be great and you want to be a champion, you know when things aren't going well, that's what happens too. So it's all part of it. And um, I take that over just kind of being average though, and just being on an average team and just kind of going through it. Um, so I'd take that, the fact that we got off to a slow start this year, um, a little bit of the um, people being surprised and asking what's going on. I mean, I'd rather take that than, you know, just kind of be in a normal link season. So um, I think we've turned the corner. We've gotten it. We've So we've won three or four now, um, two in a row at home. And obviously we have a tall task at Phoenix. They've won eight in a row this weekend. But, um, hey, we're going in there. We're going to pack our defense and rebounding and, and go out there and try to get a win. 
Uh, so Cheryl Reeve picked up her 200th career win last night. So she's mm-hmm. just the eighth coach in WNBA history to get to 200. But of the coaches with 200 wins, she has the highest winning percentage at 71%. What is, what's, uh, she has many great attributes, but what is the one attribute that aspiring coaches should look and say, okay, like I should, I should copy that attribute or I should take that attribute? Uh, I think just having just her, her, um, you know, how prepared she is for each game and just how prepared she is for each season. And uh, she's one of the most, one of, if not the most competitive people I've ever been around. So she's just, uh, you know, she's a competitor and she always is so prepared and she has a clear, you know, probably for a young coach coming in, she just has a clear vision of what she wants to get done and how she wants things to go. And, um, and that she just has, you know, her, her values that she stands by. And, um, you know, she just, I don't know. Yeah. She just leads us. She gives us a, kind of a game plan for every day, not just the games, but in practices and everything. So um, I would say just having those those skills is um, is really good for a young coach who wants to, uh, to aspire to be great. And um, she's just done those throughout her years, and she's stuck to her guns, and uh, it's really worked out for her. When, when you, Lindsay, when you say preparation, can you – just for people listening and they like they see the product on the court and the, obviously you have to show up and roll the ball out and you have to you have to do what you do on the court but can you give us an idea for those of us who aren't involved in day-to-day professional basketball or college basketball what does the the mental or the game plan preparation load look like i mean how many hours or what kind of stuff goes in between the games yeah i think just her the amount of hours that they watch video and just the stats that they put together and the, um, like, play percentages, all those type of things where they really they look and say, okay, this player is really good from this spot on the floor, so we got to design our defense around not letting that player get to that part of the floor. Um, so, yeah, I think just the amount of video, the amount of time that she puts into watching our team, watching the next team, I mean, it's probably, I mean, for each game, those coaches are probably watching – four or five games the next opponent, then they watch our games and, um, okay, what do they want to do in this end-of-game situation? What do they like to do first play of a quarter? Uh, just all those things that it's just, I mean, it's, it's probably more than that that I even know, um, but just from what I can see, what I can have, uh, have observed, those are the big keys that, um, that she does as far as preparation that she really focuses on to get us ready for each game. What got you the tech last night, Lindsay? Uh, she said because it looked like I was um, being aggressive because I um, my teammates were holding me back and I was trying to kind of push. So me pushing away Sylvia Fowles probably looked a little aggressive to the ref because all I wanted to say was I had gotten elbowed in the head on that play. That was a foul on me. And all I wanted to say was watch the moving screen. Well, <laughs> all my teammates were in my way, so I was trying to kind of clear some paths to just be able to say watch the moving screen and watch the elbows. Yeah, uh, and she saw me kind of swing Phil's arm, and she said that was too aggressive and gave me a technical. So okay, that sounds really, really lame. That's pretty benign. That's yeah. not that. You, I I would think that if if you're going to get teed up, that that you that you want to call that you feel like you've earned. That sounds really, really sort of oh okay. That's a passive thing to do. Well, we talked about it after, and I think she kind of understood. Then I was like, I didn't say you know it's. Um, I just said, hey, look, you know, it's a, you know, we're out here. I know you guys are doing your best. We're doing our best, but hey, like, give me a, re- like, I just got elbowed in the head and knocked to the floor. 
you call the follow on me. Like you have to give me a little bit of reaction too. It's an emotional game. And so, um, so yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I might get, um, they might, you know, take a look and take it back. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, it really, honestly, it really, I don't think it, it was really, um, you know, deemed necessary for a technical, but at the same time, I do understand that she saw me kind of push my teammates away to get to her. So, you know, if that's the rule, then that's the rule. And then, you know, next time I'll know not to do that. But, um, it was just kind of unfortunate because, um, I mean, listen, I'm the one that got elbowed in the head by someone who's six eight, and I got the foul. So, but whatever, you know, move on. We got to win at least. Well, what percentage of your career technical fouls are you actively seeking out getting a technical foul? Like, just like, I know I'm going to get a technical in this moment. Bleep it. I mean, I, this is only my fourth technical in my career. Is so. it really? I, I don't know why. I mean, you're a firecracker player, so I probably just yeah, presume I that you have a, a hundred of them. But yeah, no, I I got one in the finals in 2012. I got one in Connecticut as a player. Both of those, I wanted to get one. Um, then this year with Odyssey Sims, I I knew I was going to get a technical, and then this one was I was not trying to get technical. Honestly, I was just trying to. It really. My head still really hurts, so um, I was just trying to let her know that um, that hey, watch the movie screen more or less. So, so to go, I did, not, I did not try to get that one last night. All the other ones, the three I've gotten before this one, I've wanted to get to change the momentum of the game. So when, when you when you know that that you're going to pursue a technical and and you're not necessarily uh, going after an opposing player, what is the one thing that you know will get you teed up? The magic word? The you go. Yeah, there's some magic words for sure um, that they've really cracked down on. Now, I watch the NBA games, and obviously it's, that's not there, you know, so I don't know what's going on with that. But um, probably just the way you approach them. That's the biggest thing is the way you approach and the way – and if you continue anything beyond, like, a five-second conversation, then that's pretty much guaranteed you're going to get a text. Yeah. But, Are you going to have yeah. a jacket to throw in moments like that when you're coaching? Oh, I don't know. I gotta talk to my stylist. I gotta talk to my mom and see what she's gonna wear for these games and uh, see. But yeah, I mean, hey, whatever you know, like I'm gonna always have my players back. That's for sure. So, uh, but you know, obviously, that's your really, you know, not part of the game that you know. Hopefully, we're focusing on too much and we're focusing on you know the game and the play and everything. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I've, uh, um, I don't know. Too I think you should. I think you should have two jackets. Be the first coach with two jackets. Like, throw the first one, and then you still have another one on to maybe wow. throw it. Or have a have a towel like uh, Jerry Tarkanian. You could chew on a towel. Oh, yeah, if you, you do that, that'd towel. be great. Yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. Shave your head and chew on a towel. That'll be a great look this season. <laughs> that would be interesting for sure. I don't know if it'd be a great look, but it'd be interesting. Uh, 60 seconds on the clock. Lindsey Whalen. It is time for the Mackie and Judd fast break. When you speak publicly and go to various events, what topic do you usually speak on? Oh, I mean, so far it's been a lot of Q&A, so whatever the audience kind of wants to talk about. But for the most part, um, when you're talking about a team, it's, um, it's just leadership and it's just like passion and how to put together, a, how to be a part of a great team in a, in a championship culture. The biggest surprise to you so far about being a college basketball coach, Lindsay? Um, it never stops. It's literally 24-7. Yeah. Um, the U.S. men are out of the World Cup. They didn't even get to the World oh. Cup. Who wins the World Cup? Oh, well, I don't know. I haven't watched any of it. Um, 
I heard Belgium is good, so Belgium. Belgium Belgium is good. All right. I think Belgium okay. is good, yeah. You Belgium. can <laughs> you can play a basketball game in only one arena in the Twin Cities. Which do you play in? Ooh. Ooh, that's tough. Wow, wow. Um in the summer months, Target Center, in the winter months, Williams Arena. That is no fair. <laughs> I wanted a definitive answer. It's only one game. That's just a cop out. Wow. Come on, Waylon. Hey, sorry, guys. It's got to be Williams. I mean, I, if you, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Williams is. Yeah, I mean, Williams is pretty terrific. I love that old place. Depends on your mood, I guess. Oh, no, me too. Depends so on your great. mood. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. And we're out. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. We've been ratted out, boys. On 1500 ESPN. It's right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player, a digital HD download of Shooter Season 2. Thursdays at 9 p.m., Ryan Phillippe returns as Bob Lee Swagger in the hit USA original drama Shooter from executive producers Mark Wahlberg and Stephen Levinson. Comes the exciting new season of Shooter, and you can head to 1500ASPN.com. Click on the stream player for details on how to win Shooter Season 2. Reckless speculation! Okay, thank you to Lindsay. That was great stuff. Let's go back to something we talked about, I don't know, a couple segments ago. Yes. Uh, this. So you wrote a piece for 1500ESPN.com. Yep. Barry Trotz, inexplicably, is available as a head coach now. Yes. And uh, there are obvious connections from his Nashville days. Mm-hmm. And and loyal listener and Twitter follower Joe tweeted into the show that, is it Russ Cohen? Cohen? Yeah. And I this must be a show that's on in the morning, so I'm not familiar with it. But yes. Okay. So he's he's on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, and he said he believes Barry Trotz will meet with the Minnesota Wild. So to str- who already have a coach. His yeah. name is Bruce Boudreau. Very interesting. Who's also uh, entering year three of a four-year contract and makes almost $3 million per season. And so you would say to yourself, does Craig Leopold really want to write a check of $6 million for Bruce to go away and then pay Barry Trotz, who left Washington because he reportedly was asking for five years at $5 million per. That's a lot to spend. So I sent Joe a note. I said, what's the exact context of what this Russ Cohen said on on XM NHL Network Radio? And he said... Hold on, this is now, before you read it, this is now like fourth-level reckless yes. speculation. Reckless speculation! This is like fourth-hand... This is Harvard type of reckless speculation. <laughs> we are entering a zone we've never been in before. And Joe uh, sent me a tweet back that said that this guy's words basically said he thinks it is going to happen because of his relationship, because of Trotz's relationship with Fenton and Leopold from their days together in Nashville. And then Joe asked the question of us, does that even make sense for the Wild? And I would say absolutely not. Wow. That's it's way too okay, if, it's way too much. If both coaches were just available and you had an opening. Now Barry Trotz is the is the hot name here because he just won a right. Stanley Cup. Right. Which coach would you prefer if you had an opening right now and Barry Trotz and Bruce Boudreaux were both available? Which coach well, would you prefer? I'd be biased right now because Trotz just won a cup. But is that fair? If you look at Boudreaux, does it matter what's fair? If Barry, you're willing to Barry eat the Trotz, money, Barry Trotz. Has, I'd keep Boudreaux, by the way. Yeah. Barry Trotz has been coaching a lot longer in the National Hockey League than Bruce has. And he was, in fact, the first coach of the Predators when they were an expansion team in, I think, 97, 98, or somewhere about there. But if you look at his track record in the playoffs, 
Until this year, I believe he had never even got to the conference finals. Did they ever have true so, contending teams, though, in Nashville? Uh, they they had a period there where they, they were much improved. I would not call them true contending teams. And Washington, I want to say the last three years, uh, before th- this year under Trotz, in a three-year period, was eliminated by the Penguins, I believe, in the second round. Hmm. And what now? Now, regular season-wise, Trotz had them in back-to-back years until this year as the best team in the league point-wise, which means nothing. Actually, gets you fired if you don't it cash gets, in. It means nothing. Uh, but Boudreaux has done. I'll say it again: nothing to get fired here. Like of all the moves that this team could make, and of all the players that they could trade. And of all the front office positions that Fenton might switch out now, Boudreaux deserves every chance to stay here. And I would actually argue that Boudreaux has done a very good job in in making the most that he can with this team. Now, what you would hope is roster construction-wise that, that they'll change things so that they have a better team in the playoffs. But of all the things that I could possibly change, and it would be quite a few things, the head coach would be the last one. You know, what? I would just for fun. I would bring I would bring Trotz in, and uh, and I w- I would bring him in. You know, what? I, I'd find a restaurant maybe right across the street. Maybe go over to I don't know what's that uh, Pazaluna down the street from the X. How about Tom Reed? Make sure that oh, Tom Reed. Tommy Reed. A little closer. Right yep. down West so Seven. Bruce is walking down the sidewalk with his little briefcase and looks in the window and sees Craig Leopold. Sees him sitting there drinking coffee. I might just do it to stir up some drama, just for fun. Reckless speculation <laughs> at its finest right Fourth there. Fourth level reckless speculation. Fin- stuff that somebody wow. else heard and tweets us about that we speculate on. Amazing. We're good. Uh, we're back tomorrow, and you can find all four hours on demand, 1500ESPN.com, the Mackie and Judd show page.